There are some men who have great administrative skills and good business sense, but they are failures at home, absolute failures. They don't communicate effectively with their wife, nor do they communicate with their children. They don't take time to listen to their needs. They are insensitive. They are unthoughtful. And if you're like that at home, you are going to be like that in the church. Now, before we look closely at these two verses and see what they mean, I want to go over a little bit what they don't mean. First of all, Paul is not saying that it's necessary to have a wife and children or a child to be an elder. That is not the intent of this. Paul was an elder. In 1 Timothy 4.14, he says, Timothy, the elders have laid hands on you. And then in 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, I laid hands on you. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to whether Paul was married or not. But from the scriptures, there is no indication that Paul was married. No indication. And yet Paul was an elder. There's no indication that Timothy was married, and Timothy was working with the elders. In other words, what Paul is saying is, if a man is married, and if he has children, then he's to have a well-ordered home. his home is an indication of how he would run the church. Welcome to Verse by Verse Radio, a radio broadcast that seeks to carefully study the Word of God in an exegetical or a verse-by-verse fashion. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher, as we have been exploring 1 Timothy chapter 3, where we have been learning about God's standards for church leaders. The home life of a potential elder must be observed before he can be seriously considered for the position of an elder. There have been well-meaning people who have said something like this. He's a good administrator. He runs his business well. He knows how to handle finances. Let's ask him to be on the elder board. However, God doesn't make that a basis for being an overseer. Why? Because overseeing the local church is more like managing a family than it is like running a business. Because the church is God's household. So let's jump into today's broadcast and see how Pastor Steve is going to apply these truths. The way a man runs his home is an indication of how he would run the church. That's what he's saying. So the home life of a man must be observed before a man can seriously be considered for the position of an elder. You see, many men are chosen to be elders in a church based on how well they run their business. You hear a lot of this. Hear a lot of talk about, well, he's a good administrator, he runs his business, he knows how to handle finances, let's ask him to be on the board. But God doesn't make that a basis for being an overseer. Why? Because overseeing the local church is more like managing a family than it is like running a business. Because the church is God's household. It is not a business. It is not an institution. It is a family. In fact, in 1 Timothy 3.15, this very chapter, he says that the church is the household of God. God is not really interested in how well a man manages his business. What he is concerned about is how well he manages his family. And I hope you understand that because the family and the church are very close. Because the church is a family. There are some men who have great administrative skills and good business sense, but they are failures at home. Absolute failures. They don't communicate effectively with their wife, nor do they communicate with their children. They don't take time to listen to their needs. They are insensitive. They are unthoughtful. And if you're like that at home, you're going to be like that in the church. 
Now before we look closely at these two verses and see what they mean, I want to go over a little bit what they don't mean. First of all, Paul is not saying that it's necessary to have a wife and children or a child to be an elder. That is not the intent of this. Paul was an elder. In 1 Timothy 4.14, he says, Timothy, the elders have laid hands on you. And then in 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, I laid hands on you. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to whether Paul was married or not. But from the scriptures, there is no indication that Paul was married. No indication. And yet Paul was an elder. There's no indication that Timothy was married. And Timothy was working with the elders. In other words, what Paul is saying is, if a man is married and if he has children then he's to have a well-ordered home. It's just something he assumes because most men are married and have children. That's a general pattern of mankind, but not necessarily God's will, individual will for everybody. If a man would become an elder before he was married and have children, then once he does get married, if he does and has children, then he has to be evaluated again in the sense of how does he handle his home. And if he can cut it, then just because he's on the board is no reason why he should continue on the board. He should not continue if he can't handle his family. Secondly, Paul is not saying that the man's family has to be perfect. He's not saying that. All families have struggles and problems. Pastors' children are not going to be perfect. Now, people know that theologically, but oftentimes they treat pastors' children and elders' children in the church as if they're not normal kids, as if they can't have struggles. One of the things that I have sought to instill in my children is that they are to obey and do what's right, not because of who I am. That's really not very important. They are to do what's right because of what God's word says. So you understand it's the motive. I don't put it upon my kids that you have to obey and you have to be right because everybody's watching you. That's really unimportant. What is important is that they are to be right and obedient because God's word says that. Not because I put additional pressure on them. Not because their father is a pastor. I wouldn't want anyone putting pressure on my children or any elder's children to behave because they are the pastor's children. That can breed resentment, and many a pastor's child has had that resentment build up in them for the ministry because they are told that they have to look good so that their dad looks good. That is a sinful motivation. The standard for them is the same thing as the standard for every other child in the congregation. That's very important. Paul is not saying they need to be perfect. There are no perfect families. He's not saying that they are free of struggles. So we understand that. So what is Paul saying? Well, let's look at the phrases. In verse 4, first of all, he says, He must be one who manages his own household well. Now, this goes beyond children. It includes them. It goes beyond the wife. It includes her. The word manage means to stand before. It means to rule, to lead. The man is the leader of the home. He may delegate responsibilities. His wife obviously has to manage some affairs, but under his management... Any man can rule a home, but what Paul is saying is that he must rule it well. Notice in verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well. And the word well means not just intrinsically good, but that it's attractive. It's beautiful. That's the thought here. There are two Greek words for well. The word here that means that it is outwardly good. In other words, he manages his home in such an attractive way that it is obvious to everyone. That what characterizes his leadership in his home is attractive and right and beautiful. Now, Paul is saying beyond the children and beyond the wife, the household would mean 
everything that's entrusted to him. It means he's a good steward, basically. He's a good steward of his finances. He's a good steward of his property. He's a good steward of the people in his household. He's one who handles those things well. He's got his home affairs in order. He's not one who's bankrupt. He's not one who can do things financially. He's not one who has everything out of order in the home. He's one who takes care of the things that God has entrusted to him. And it would include his wife. It would include his children. But it goes beyond that. He is a responsible steward. And that's the thought here. But secondly, Paul says this. Keeping his children. Now he emphasizes the children. Because God's people are his children. Keeping his children under control with all dignity. An elder must be a man who controls his children in an honorable, respectful, and dignified way. That's what he means. His children must be obedient and they must be submissive to him. Doesn't mean that they're never going to have some rebellion. Doesn't mean that they're never going to do things that are not rebellious. That's why he is to spank them. He is to discipline them because they do that. It means that the normal pattern in his family is that his children respect him. His children obey him. His children are submissive to him. In fact, he must nurture them along so that they are this way. No child is born into the world being like that. They must have nurturing along that way. Now, this reminds me of an Old Testament character who did not do this. And this is Eli. Would you turn back to 1 Samuel, way back in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Eli apparently had some very good qualities in his life. He was the high priest to the time of Hannah and then Samuel. And Eli must have had some good qualities in his life because once he understood what was on Hannah's heart and in her prayer, he treated her with dignity and with sensitivity and respect. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, we read this though. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men and they did not know the Lord. And you know what? The problem was not only that they refused to believe, but Eli was in sin concerning this. Chapter 2, verse 22 through 25. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with women who served at the doorway of the tents of the meat. In other words, they were involved in sexual immorality. That's what it means. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all these people. Now listen, folks, when your children are grown, and they're involved in fornication, you don't just say, Why do you do this? You should have disciplined them a long time ago so that they wouldn't do this. And it's not that they just fell into sin. This was their lifestyle. And he said to them, why do you do such things? It's kind of a milquetoast attitude. And the evil things that I hear from all these people. In other words, he didn't even know what was going on. People had to tell him. Horrible. No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. And then he goes on to say some things about that. But what I really want you to see is 1 Samuel Chapter 3, verse 13. God says this to Samuel, For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. It means he didn't discipline them. doesn't mean he just didn't speak to them. He didn't deal with them. They were foul. They were vile creatures and he did not deal with their sin. He didn't deal with their sin from being young children. And now they were adults and they were priests and they were laying with women and disgracing the Lord. So when you come to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is saying that the man's children must be under control. That is, they rank under him. They are submissive. 
He nurtures them along. If you look over at Titus chapter 1, there's a question exactly what Paul meant in this. In Titus chapter 1, which is another list very similar to the one in 1 Timothy, Paul specifically says in verse 6, If any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. That expression, dissipation or rebellion, simply means they're not those who are wild and live lives in complete rebellion to their father. Now, the question that scholars have, and it's a debated issue amongst Bible teachers, is Paul saying that they must be believers? It said children who believe. There are many who say that, that when a child of an elder comes of a certain age, it's expected that he would be a believer. What that age is, we're not sure, but that an elder must have children who come to faith. That may very well be what Paul is talking about. There are others and many good men who say this word means not believe so much as they must be faithful. Faithful in the sense of respectful, not wild. There's no guarantee that an elder's child is going to be a believer. So they say Paul is simply saying that he must be a faithful son or daughter, not somebody who is known as wild and unsubmissive, but obedient and faithful to their dad and his leadership. Regardless of exactly what Paul meant, we know in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that this man is expected that his children would be under control, and he does it with dignity. So an elder is one who rules over his resources well, controls his children so that they are submissive. But notice the end of verse 4 in 1 Timothy 3. It says this, he must keep them under control with all dignity. Now that's really important. The man carries himself, and this word, by the way, carries with it a perfect blend of dignity, courtesy, independence, and humility. All that is wrapped up in that word. What is he saying? He rules his children with class. He doesn't beat them into submission. It doesn't mean he doesn't discipline them, but he's not one who walks around with a big wooden racket all day long. He is not a tyrant. He is not one who has to scream at the top of his voice all the time to get his children to do things. He's one whose children are brought into submission by him conducting himself in a dignified class way, a stateliness there. The submission of his children isn't gained by harsh punishment or angry oppression. He controls his children in an honorable, respectful, and dignified way. Anybody can beat their kids into submission. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking here that you do it with dignity, that your children don't just cower when you walk by. He's not a military leader. He's a father. Why is this so important for an elder? Verse 5, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? If a man can't effectively shepherd a few members in his family, then how is he going to shepherd a local church? You understand what he's saying. If you can't take care of the two or three or five kids that you have, how are you going to take care of the 200, the 300, the 400, the 500? You can't. You won't make it in the ministry. Let me give you some very practical applications of this. If a man is too harsh with his children, he'll be too harsh with God's children in the church. If he's too lenient and he's not willing to effectively confront sin in his children, then he won't confront sin and deal with discipline in the church. You understand that? See, what he is at home is what he's going to be in his leadership. That's what Paul is saying. If he won't confront sin in his children's life and he just kind of feels like, well, it'll all come together, it's okay then that's the style of his leadership. And you can't have that. You must deal with sin in a local church level. If he's insensitive to his wife's needs, he's insensitive to his children's needs, then he's going to be insensitive to the congregation's needs. If he's impatient with his children, he'll be impatient with the church. 
If he's rigid and sort of a military leader with his children, inflexible, he's going to be inflexible with the church. What he is in the home is going to be the way he is with the church. If you want to know if he'll make a good leader in the church, then just observe how he manages his household and especially his children. If he's not effective with the few, don't think he's going to be effective with many. Now, basically, a man who is a good leader, a good elder, does three things with his children, and this is very vital. Number one, he makes it advisable for his children to obey him. He makes it advisable for them to obey him. You know how he does that? He disciplines them when they sin. He disciplines them when they are disrespectful. He disciplines them when they don't obey. He disciplines them when they do things that are totally sinful and unacceptable, when they are rebellious. He disciplines them when there is disobedience. That makes it advisable for a child to not disobey. You understand that. That's just common sense. If you get spanked every time you sin, it's advisable you don't sin. You don't do that. Secondly, he makes it reasonable for his children to obey. How is that? He explains to them why he's dealing with them. This is what I have to do. This is why I have to do it. And so he makes it reasonable. He must use wisdom in disciplining his children. There must be a reason for it. He must use wisdom in applying discipline. Thirdly, he deals with his children in such a way that they will want to obey. They will desire to obey him. How is that? Because there ought to be such a relationship between father and son and daughter and that they don't want the fellowship to be broken. They don't want the fellowship to be broken down. The children are pierced and they are hurt when they don't have mom and dad's approval. Love makes it difficult to disobey and it makes it delightful to obey. They want your fellowship. So what you have here is authority, you have wisdom, and you have love. Now why is that important? Because that's the way an elder has to work in the church. That's the same ministry. He has to deal with members in the church where he makes it unadvisable to disobey. Let me put it possibly, he makes it advisable to obey. Because if they don't obey, they're going to be confronted with sin. And if they still don't obey, they're going to be confronted more. And if ultimately they don't obey, they are going to be disciplined in the church. They are going to be put out of the fellowship of the church. And so he makes it advisable for them to obey. Secondly, in dealing with sin in the church, he makes it reasonable to obey. An elder's job is to explain what the scriptures teach so that not only do you say you shouldn't do this because we'll discipline you, but you should say you should do this because the word of God says this. And you make it very reasonable and you explain the scriptures. And so they ought to have the attitude of, okay, I will obey. That makes sense to me. There's wisdom there. But I think the priority is that as an elder is loved by the church and as he loves the church, he makes it delightful to obey so that the church members want his fellowship. They don't want to be out of his fellowship. They want to obey. They want his approval. They want God's approval. They want the fellowship of the church. They want the fellowship of the leadership. You see, that's why it's very important that a man's home have that, that he have that relationship with his children because that's the relationship he has with God's people. And notice verse 5. That one expression, at the end of it, how will he take care of the church of God? That's a fascinating expression. And to get the gist of this, let's turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 35. And this is a parable about a good Samaritan. And in Luke chapter 10, 
verse 30, it begins this way. Jesus said, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that is a certain Jewish man, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Now, the Samaritan had no dealings with the Jew, but he felt compassion. And came to him, and watch as he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. That's the same expression that's found in 1 Timothy 3. Verse 35 says, And on the next day he took out two denarii, that was two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Wow. Do you realize what that's saying? That is the same expression that Paul uses in 1 Timothy 3, that an elder must take care of the church. This Samaritan had compassion. He gave him his time. He took care of his wounds. He sacrificed for him, and he paid the man's bills. And the Jew probably wouldn't even like this Samaritan. You see, that's what taking care of the church is all about. Providing for their spiritual needs. It's sacrificing. It's protecting them from dangers. And how do you know if a man will do this as a church leader? How do you know if he'll sacrifice for the church, if he'll spend time for the church, if he'll protect them, if he will meet their spiritual needs, if he will sacrifice for them? How do you know that? Well, just look at the way he deals with his family. If he's not meeting their needs, he'll never meet the needs of the church, not as a lifestyle. He'll never do that. If he won't spend time with his kids, he won't spend time with people in the church either. If he won't listen to his wife after a hard day and sit down and let her pour her heart out, neither will he let people in the church do that. Maybe once in a while, but not as much as they need it. Every once in a while I hear someone older than me say, well, when I was younger, we didn't pay much attention to the families like they do nowadays. And, you know, that just goes against my grain because what that is saying is that this is a standard that's just a modern cultural thing. Back in my day, fathers didn't do this and I didn't do that as if it's a modern concept of today. Listen, the family has always been the testing ground for elders. The culture may have been wrong. It was wrong. Fathers were always to be sensitive to their children. Fathers were always to meet their needs. This is not a new standard. This is the biblical standard. And thank God that many younger men and women are discovering that the family is a priority. It is not something that the culture is just discovering. They're discovering the biblical perspective. And if the other generation before us didn't do that, then that was sin, not a cultural standard. Howard Hendricks, professor at Dallas Seminary, tells the story of being on an airplane and sitting next to a man who he began to witness to about Christ. And the man said, listen, would you mind? I don't want to talk about that. And Howard Hendricks said, well, I respect that, but would you please tell me why you don't want to talk about that? He said, listen, I grew up in a home where mom and dad were Christians. And they were out telling everybody else about Jesus. And they were out all the time witnessing and speaking for Christ and leading other kids to the Lord and being involved in evangelism and in the Lord's service. But they never had time for me. He said, Jesus took my father away. Now, would you please not talk about it? Do you understand that there is no dichotomy between how a man leads his family and how a man leads the church? It's not one or the other. It's just that if he's this way with his home, you know he's going to be this way with the church. And that's what Paul is dealing with. And that's what we must deal with. 
and we must evaluate men and we must be careful in choosing men that they are those who are above reproach with their families. Toward the end of our broadcast today, we heard Pastor Steve say this regarding elders and their families. If he won't spend time with his children, he won't spend time with the people in the church either. If he won't listen to his wife after a hard day and sit down and let her pour her heart out, neither will he let the people in the church do that. The family has always been a testing ground for elders. Fathers were always to be sensitive to their children. Fathers were always to meet their needs. This is not a new standard. This is a biblical standard. And once again, Pastor Steve has shown us that God's standards for church leaders apply to the rest of us as well. On our next verse-by-verse broadcast, we will once again be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as we wrap things up today, I do hope you have been challenged in your own faith walk by what you have been hearing. If so, please encourage a friend to tune in to Verse by Verse on this fine radio station.